Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pump Back, everybody. I'm Jerry Bailey, USA Today, SB Nation. Joining me today, covering the Cleveland Browns, it's Cameron Justice. Hi, Cameron. Hey, how are you? I am, um, well, it's been a busy 24 hours uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, a lot of uh, QB stuff that's going around and yeah. making its way through the, uh, through, through the South Side. So lot, lots to talk about with that, which I'll get into later on. But um Let's talk about your Cleveland Browns because what a uh, what a month it's been over in Cleveland. Joe Flacco just having a career resurgence out of nowhere, coming off the street and leading the Cleveland Browns to clinching a playoff spot. Um, it's not just been Flacco, obviously. It's been you know David and Joe, who's been a, a vital part of the offense, which has been very refreshing to see. Uh, you know, the, the depth that they have in terms of Elijah Moore and Jerome Ford in the backfield, just everything clicking for the Cleveland Browns right now. What has changed um, since Flacco took over that has sparked this, uh, uh, this resurgence? Well, I think it's just, you know, Joe Flacco's ability to fit into this offense has been one, a pleasant surprise for the Browns, but two, exactly what he's able to do. That's, I mean, this is who Joe Flacco is. He's a quarterback that has just natural talent. It's, it's unmistakable talent. Everyone talks about, He's got one of the best arms that they've ever seen from a quarterback, just like from the natural ability to get the ball out of his hands. Right. And so you bring that in and you bring in a guy that can understand the game the way that he does. I think he picked up on Kevin Stefanski's offense really well. And that that has played into his ability to connect with guys like Amari Cooper and David Njoku. But it really is at the core, I think, the the mentality that this team has embraced. Right. It's all the injuries, all the adversity that has come their way. They have found ways to overcome it. I think that starts with Andrew Barry getting in, bringing in guys like Joe Flacco, but you know, across the roster even and the depth that this team has had. I think that it starts with the guys that they've brought in who have really good mindsets for these kinds of things and the ability to overcome these things. And then it goes down to Kevin Stefanski, who to me screams coach of the year, who has been able to put his team in positions to play well and find ways to win. At the end of the day, we talk about teams like, I mean, we talk about the Steelers, right? As for, for decades, have <laughs> been a team that finds ways to win uh, no matter what. And that's, that's the making of a good team. And all the credit when we talk about that for years has been on the, aptitude of the coaching Mike Tomlin being such a strong coach I think the Browns are getting that now uh, with Kevin Stefanski I think he's the kind of coach that has the skill set has the abilities to get you wins and find ways and inspire wins and that's what you're seeing from the Browns so with Joe Flacco I think he has benefited um from what has already been established and his proven talent and his abilities have only played into what the Browns have been building all season yeah, I mean, you look at the way that he's played, and look, they've they've had four quarterbacks this year in terms of you know starting off with Watson, and then having to go to PJ Walker, Dorian Thompson Robinson, and now Flacco. Um, looking at the uh, the AFC playoff picture as a whole, though, this feels as open as it's been in a long time, just because 
you know, the Chiefs have really had a stranglehold on, you know, being a team that you can pencil in for being in the AFC championship game. It doesn't feel that way this year. Miami has shown a lot of struggles. Um, if Buffalo gets in, I mean, they are, you know, a very high variance team. How far can Cleveland go? Um, because like I said, this is a very open conference and with the way that their defense is playing, uh, which we haven't even talked about yet, just how Jim Schwartz has these boys hopping every week. Um, they feel like maybe the most complete team in the conference right now. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a team that if they've gotten to this point through everything that they face, I don't think that there is a, a ceiling for them. I'm, I'm in the team, uh, in, the, in the camp of once you make it somewhere, once you make it to the dance, there, anything can happen, right? Teams that maybe don't even belong in any sport, uh, I think that once you make it to that point, once you make it to the playoffs, I think that you can get there. And I think for the Browns right now, clinching that playoff spot was huge because they've gotten there now. Now they've got this week 18 that doesn't really mean anything. You can rest. There's a lot of guys that can be coming back. You know, Amari Cooper sat out the last time with a heel injury. He should be good to go for the playoffs. Elijah Moore is dealing with the concussion, but they said he's progressing well, so you might have him back in the mix. But then on defense, you've got Grant Delpit, who was on IR. He's going to be able to get off IR. He's going to be able to get back. Uh, that's what their hope is. And you've got guys like Obo Okoronkwo, who has been out but not placed on IR because they're waiting for the second opinion. Perhaps he's back. I think this is a really good time for the Browns because they're getting healthy. They've established who they are, what kind of football they like to play. They've established their identity offensively, even through all the chaos. And defensively, they they set that standard up immediately. Jim Schwartz, as you mentioned, Jim Schwartz has been a really big boost, not just to the defense, but to this team and the morale in general. The the way that he approaches football and this team and, and coaching in general, I think has really inspired people across the roster. And so I think that right now, with the ability for guys to get back and get healthy, them locked in, I think they the Browns can they can do whatever they like. The destiny is it's in their hands. Their teams across the league don't want to play the Browns because of the way that they play, right? Like even if you're you're in it and you think you're going to win that game, the Browns may just come back and win. They are pros at scoring game-winning drives in the final two minutes. They've done it five times, I believe, this season. That like, that's what they do. They they do come from behind wins. They'll maybe give up a little bit more than they would like, but they keep themselves in it. And I think when you get into the playoffs, when you're playing for not just one game, but for your lives, you're playing for the season, you're playing that, that championship trophy is right in front of you. I think that elevates the level that they play. And so I really do think that any team in the league that they are facing, they have the absolute potential to beat them. I think this could be the season that they don't just win a playoff game they could win two playoff games. They could put themselves in, you know, in the the conference finals. They can put themselves in a position. It just comes down to, you know, what they're able to execute with the people that they have available to them. And to me, what's promising is that there are more people that should be available to them as as these next couple of weeks pass. Yeah, and you know, we we talk about the quarterback position, obviously dealing with you know a lot of turnover there and the rotating door that that's been. But all over the roster, they have dealt with so many injuries this year, too. And I think that, you know, the quarterback situation alone should put Kevin Stefanski at the top of the uh, the coach of the year conversation. But everything else going on in that team right now in terms of guys that have gone down, obviously Nick Chubb uh, with the with the, the knee injury, Mark Cooper's missed time, a bunch of guys defensively have missed time. Um, but I think that speaks to 
like you pointed out, just how great of a coach that Kevin Stefanski is. And I think he's really flexed that this year, um, which is crazy because I feel like you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like a, a loud portion of the fan base was ready to move on from Stefanski um, right. from in the past year or so, which uh, which is quite the turnaround uh, in the past calendar year. Yeah, I've been called a Kevin Stefanski apologist <laughs> for the first part of the season <laughs> because it was. There was a lot of people that were like, fire, fire Stefanski, fire Stefanski. Anytime they lost, anytime. Because with coaching, here's how it, here's how it always works, and it's, it's the reality of it. When you do something and it works, you are a genius. Mm. When you do something and you fail at it and it's it's one of those hindsight 2020s, you look like an idiot. And every coach will tell you that and every coach will say that. And I think that was um, – happening a lot in different moments people didn't like some of the decisions he made but this season in particular I think has been standout because the big concern for Kevin Stefanski I think with his with his critics was his decisions on fourth downs his decisions in the red zone those really crucial moments they wanted to see him make better choices they wanted to see him call better plays in those moments because there were some mind-boggling things when they didn't work it looked like why would you call that like no one would call that but I think he has done a very good job this year of taking that next step of being a really good decision maker in those crucial moments. You've seen it on the game winning drives. You've seen it on the short, the, the fourth and shorts. You've seen it in the red zone. They've done a phenomenal job at improving in those areas. And I think that has really done numbers to get them wins. But that was a big thing. You know, fans are, I think in Cleveland too, that's kind of the go to. It's been the go to for years is when things aren't working. What do you do? For years, it's been fire the coach. Fire the head coach, fire the GM, start again, try again. And I think that's kind of just ingrained. And so I do think that there was a lot of people who were, fire Stefanski, get rid of him. It's not working. They lost a couple games, a couple games they maybe shouldn't have. And that's kind of the natural answer. But what happens when you keep patient and and with a with a coach like him is you see that progression and you see it start to come together and I think fans now have for the most part there's still some that are probably in the category of they just want everything to burn every time but I think for the most part most people have understood that this is something special and Kevin Stefanski is a coach that has really been the catalyst for all of this. He is a huge reason why the Browns are in this position two times in the playoffs and, and they hadn't done it <laughs> in 18 years in 2020. And now here we are in 2020 going into four uh, and they're, they're back in the playoffs and no coach has been able to do that in decades. And so I think that conversation of, Kevin Stefanski should be fired has stopped because you can't really do that when your coach has gotten you back into the playoffs. Right. All right. Before I let you get on out of here, obviously the, uh, the big debate um, in these parts every year is miles Garrett or TJ Watt. Um, we've had a bunch of other edge rushers that have really made statement, had statement seasons, whether it's, you know, Max Crosby who's had a great year in Vegas. Michael Parsons has obviously been terrific in Dallas. Is this the year that miles Garrett is named defensive player of the year in your mind? I think that it should be that, only reason that it wouldn't be, I think, would be the actual the, the the numbers, right? If the voting is done based off of the overall impact, I think this is Miles Garrett's year. 
if the numbers are based off of sack count, the forced fumble, all of those, the explosive stuff, which is, I mean, yeah, it's great to have that. Absolutely. Like this is not to discredit Watt or Crosby or any of them like that. They are incredible players. They're incredible defensive players. I think with Miles Garrett, what has hindered him in the voting year after year are the numbers on the stat sheet. But if you really dive into it, if you watch him, if you see the impact he has, the pressures he generates, the way that teams have to address their game plan around Miles Garrett specifically, you've got tight ends in motion playing Ike and try to draw Miles Garrett up. That doesn't happen with other players. Other teams don't have to specifically single out a guy like Miles Garrett the way that teams in this NFL right now are doing to this man. And I think that on its own screams the impact that he has. He is the leader of the defense. When the defensive line isn't doing well in Cleveland, right? If, if they aren't generating those pressures, if they're not having a great game, it you see it. It trickles back. It's the Jim Schwartz effect. That's how his defense operates, crashing the boards, trying to you know get into the quarterback, and then it falls back to the linebackers in the secondary. Absolutely. But when the defensive line doesn't work in Cleveland, the defense doesn't work in Cleveland. When Miles Garrett isn't impactful with his pressure rates or any of the abilities that he has on the field, when he's not successful, the defense isn't successful. He is the face of the defense, and he brings out the best in other guys around him, like Zadarius Smith on the interior, like Dalvin Tomlinson. They've really boosted it, but it's Miles Garrett that they're playing around, and he is that driving force. And when you see teams have to counter him specifically, and and the way that he's able to just cause so much disruption and, and still get numbers. Like he's still getting the sack numbers. It's just maybe not as he's not, doesn't have the exact numbers. He has a little dry spell, three games without a sack and people are counting him out of the conversation. I think that's crazy because no matter what, he's still doing that. He's still disruptive and he's still a force that these teams don't have it. Like they don't know how to answer to it. So they just give everything at him. I think that he is defensive player of the year. I think the other players that are in the conversation are very good players and they've had their moments as well. And I think they'll probably have their moments to come, but this to me, Miles Garrett has been in that conversation for the past couple years. And I think this right. is the year that he should earn it because there's no denying the impact that he has on the field. Uh, and, and if you're just looking at stat sheets in any scenario, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, but especially with Miles Garrett, if you just, if you watch his game, I think it's there, but he probably won't win because the numbers and that's how it votes. But, you know, I, I do think he deserves it. Cam justice. Absolutely. Lovely having you on. Enjoy covering the playoffs. Would love to have you on once again. Maybe we'll be talking about a Cleveland Browns playoff win and who knows where that will take them. I appreciate you for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And you know, there's going to be conversations about a playoff win. I'll be here for you anytime. (laughs) All right, Cam. Take care. Talk soon. That's camera justice. Great stuff all around. Um, in terms of covering the Cleveland Browns, um, sticking in the AFC North though, because you know, if you follow me, um, Obviously, you know, um, being a Steelers fan, covering the team, it's been a busy day, busy 24 hours um, covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, A lot of rumors going around, a lot of uh, sources and whatnot like that. Um, So we'll just kind of dive into the story of the day, which is um, the great Derek Bell over at Steelers now followed up on a tweet that Mark Madden put out saying that Kenny Pickett um, 
chose not to dress basically in protest against the Seattle Seahawks. And Derek Bell, Steelers now, um, released a source report saying that you know, he has been told that that is what happened. And Kenny Pickett today coming out obviously denied the um, those allegations and those rumors. And it's just been a... Uh, it's been quite the uh, the back and forth between Steelers fans and you know Steelers media and whatnot. Who do you believe? Who do you who do you not believe? So I'll just kind of chime in with my overall thoughts on everything. Um, the thing is, is that somebody's lying because Mike Tomlin revealed that Kenny Pickett was cleared to play against Seattle. He said that yesterday. Kenny Pickett came out and said that he was not cleared. And that if he was, he was going to be the starter against Seattle. Which is where this whole report comes in. Sources saying that you know Kenny went into the week expecting to start. And then once the team announced that it was Mason Rudolph... Then in protest, he decided not to dress as the as the backup. And Kenny Pickett came out today and denied those, you know, saying that you know he. Uh, I have to pull up the uh, direct quote. A lot of a lot of Steelers media that were on site today um, caught that, um, but Kenny Pickett denied it. And then as soon as Kenny Pickett denied it, everybody was like, "Oh, close case," <laughs> which makes no sense. Because what do you expect Kenny Pickett to say in that situation? Yep, you caught me. I said I wasn't going to dress. I did it. No. He wasn't ever going to say that. So take, in these situations especially, take everything that the player or coach in question says with a grain of salt. Because Kenny Pickett was never going to come out and say, yep, I did it. You caught me. No, they're going to try to save face. They're going to try to sweep this under the rug and move on from it as fast as they possibly can. And look, maybe the plan was originally, you know, a week week or so ago, two weeks ago, that, okay, Kenny, you're not going to play against Cincinnati. Mason's going to play. You'll be good to go against Seattle. Maybe that was the original plan. But then Mason Rudolph had the best game that a Steelers quarterback has had in God knows how long. The Steelers knew that they couldn't bench him because optically that would not look good and they need wins, and Mason Rudolph played well, so he got the start against the Seahawks. And maybe those changes of plans irritated Kenny Pickett to the point that he decided, I'm not even going to dress, despite the fact that he was medically cleared to do so. It makes zero sense, one, for Mike Tomlin to lie about Pickett being cleared, and two, it makes no sense whatsoever why the Steelers wouldn't have three quarterbacks active. That benefits nobody. Because what if Mason Rudolph and Mitch Trubisky both went down? Guess what? You don't have a third guy because Kenny Pickett didn't dress. You're going to have to throw somebody else in there. It's not hard to read between these lines when you really think about it. Mike Tomlin said Kenny Pickett was medically cleared to play. He didn't dress. 
Why would he not dress? Why would the Steelers only dress two quarterbacks in that situation when Kenny Pickett was medically cleared to play? Oh, but he didn't have the reps. Spare me. He was the starter all season long. He was limited. He got limited reps in practice. It's not like he was completely inactive all week. He practiced. So spare me that whole excuse. And again, I don't blame Mike Tomlin for that necessarily. Because obviously, especially at this point in the year where you want everything to just be focused on Baltimore, 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 win this game, get in the playoffs. The last thing you want is a distraction. He's not going to put out there, oh yeah, by the way, Kenny said he wasn't going to dress. So I I understand the, the backlash being put on Mike Tomlin there in terms of fans saying, oh my goodness, how could Mike Tomlin allow this to happen? I get that from an extent, but at the same time, at this point in the year where you need a win, you need everybody focused, you're going to try to avoid as much controversy as possible. And the Steelers have had their fair share of controversy this year already. So Kenny Pickett was never going to come out and say, yep, I said I wasn't going to dress. What what, what does that accomplish? That just makes him look worse. (laughs) They're going to try their very hardest to move on from this as quickly as humanly possible. They're going to try to sweep it under the rug. Kenny Pickett's going to be the backup this week against Baltimore. But there's a lot of questions that the Steelers have to answer this offseason now. Because now Mason Rudolph, in the last two weeks, has played two better games than Kenny Pickett ever has in his career. It's the first time that the Steelers have scored 30 points in consecutive weeks since 2020. And Mason Rudolph, in the last two weeks, (laughs) leads all quarterbacks in passer rating. And we can talk about, everybody wants to talk about, oh, but but Matt Canada, spare me that too. Because this is still a Matt Canada schemed offense, just with different play callers. And I don't care about the excuse of Matt Canada because, yes, was he a horrible play caller and offensive coordinator? Absolutely. But watch the tape. Kenny Pickett was still missing throws. Kenny Pickett was still doing pirouettes in the pocket and getting happy feet and bailing when he could have stayed in the pocket for a little bit longer to make these throws, Mason Rudolph's doing all the things that they need him to do. Kenny Pickett wasn't. And Mason Rudolph has done in two starts what Kenny Pickett hasn't been able to do in 24, and that's look competent and excel in two consecutive games. And... What folks also need to understand is that not every quarterback is going to be good. I don't care that he got drafted in the first round. There's plenty of first-round quarterbacks that have stunk. Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, EJ Manuel, all of them were taken higher than Kenny Pickett. All of them stunk. Sometimes teams swing and miss. The Steelers swung and missed. And now they're going to have a lot of thinking to do in the offseason about what they're going to do at quarterback. Because Mason Rudolph, he's going to be a free agent. He's only back on a one-year deal this year. Nobody expected him to come back in the first place. But he's going to be a free agent. you got to decide if you want to bring Mason Rudolph back. And I promise you this, he's going to get QB2 money on the market now because he's proven that he's a very capable backup in the last two weeks. And over the course of his career, by the way. He hasn't played in two years, but the last game he played, he looked fine against Detroit and bad weather conditions in 2021. And in 2019, like when he had to fill in for Ben Roethlisberger for a year, he did as well as he could have. I don't think anybody was expecting him to come in and be Joe Montana. Seals went 8-8 eight eight that year. 
They were left for dead after Ben went down. Quarterback didn't play great, but look at his numbers that season compared to Kenny Pickett over the past two years. He looks like Joe Namath. So sure, we can have the conversations of Matt Canada not being a good play caller, but this is still a Matt Canada offense that Mason Rudolph, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris, everybody's thriving in over the past two weeks. And what is the key difference? The quarterback. Now, that's just what it is. And again, Kenny Pig was never going to come out and admit to not dressing, which is hilarious to me that just because he came out and denies the rumors that everybody's like, oh, okay. No, that must, it must not happen. No. And if you follow the guys at Steelers now, whether it be Alan Saunders, Nick Farabaugh, Derek Bell, the entire group, they do great work. They wouldn't put their name on something if they didn't trust it and if the source wasn't reliable. So just because, you know, Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport weren't the ones to have the source and talk about it and break it, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now, I'm not reporting anything saying that it did happen, but if I had to choose who I'm believing, I'm believing Derek Bell and the source that he has as reliable. I'm also believing Zach Smith, the source that he had being reliable. These are two local guys who have broken Steelers news before with the sources that they have. And I'm trusting them as being reliable if they're going to put their name on it. Now, again, obviously, do we know anything is fact right now? No. But I know who I'm believing, especially when, when Kenny Pickett didn't dress when he was medically cleared to dress. And Mike Tomlin said he was medically cleared. It makes no sense why the Steelers were only dressed two quarterbacks in that situation. Makes no sense. It's very easy to read between these lines. And they're going to try to save face. Kenny Pickett's going to try to save face, move on from this, sweep it under the rug, and try to just get this in the past as quickly as possible. But it's very easy to read between these lines. I don't know what's going to happen next year. One of three things. One, he requests a trade in the offseason, and they grant it, and Kenny Pickett's gone. Two, he welcomes a quarterback competition next season, loses that competition, and then gets traded. Or he welcomes a quarterback competition, loses the competition, but stays there as the backup. Because Kenny Pickett, nobody's going to be lining up to trade for Kenny Pickett, whether you like to admit that or not. Look at what, look at what Sam Darnold went for. He went for a sixth-round pick and then the following draft, second and fourth round pick. They ain't getting anything close to what the Jets got for Sam Darnold. Hell, look what Josh Rosen went for. I think Josh Rosen went for that year's third round pick from the Dolphins whenever they moved him and drafted Kyler Murray. They ain't getting that. I think the maximum that you get right now, the absolute maximum, is like a fourth or fifth round pick for Kenny Pickett. And by the way, if you get offered that, you take it. If you're the Steelers. No reason you shouldn't take it. Oh, but Jared, it could be a good backup. You drafted him in the first round, man. There's no reason to hold on to him if, he, if he's not going to be your franchise quarterback going forward. No point. You bring in a new quarterback room. And if that includes Mason Rudolph back on a QB2 deal, cool. And if my, my dream Steelers quarterback room is a combination of either trading for Justin Fields or signing Kirk Cousins 
having Mason Rudolph as the number two, because I like Mason and the way that he's played over the past couple weeks has been great. I don't think that that all of a sudden makes him a franchise quarterback, but I think he can be a really reliable number two. And then if you want to draft a guy to be your number three, like a Michael Pratt up to lane, or maybe a Cam Ward, then you draft a guy to be your number three. Especially if you sign Kirk Cousins. Like if you want to have that succession plan in advance, cool. But they can't stay stagnant in the quarterback market next year. And if I had to bet, I don't think Kenny Pickett's there next year. And this whole era, if you can even call it that, is ending in very ugly fashion. So that's just my opinion on everything that's happened in the past 24 hours. Again, guys at Steelers now, Alan Saunders, Nick Farabaugh, Derek Bell, they aren't putting their name on something if they don't trust it. These are really good guys who have been on the beat for a long time, guys who I trust, whose word I trust. And if they're putting their name on it, I will take it as, okay, they genuinely trust this. They believe it. I will also trust it. So that's just my thoughts on it uh, in terms of what's happening in Pittsburgh right now. But regardless, Mason Rudolph getting the start this week against the Ravens. If the Steelers win and either the Jaguars or Bills lose, the Steelers are in the playoffs. And we're going to break down the entirety of the uh, the final week of the regular season later on in the week, which will be a lot of fun. I'm going to be joined by uh, Dane Parson from Draft Network. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do some draft talk as well um, as previewing week 18. So a lot to get to later on in the week. Thank you to Cam Justice for joining me, talking some Cleveland Browns ahead of the final week of the season. And yeah. Season goes by fast, y'all. We're already gearing up for the final week of the year and then getting into wild card weekend. It's going to be, you know, still got a busy month ahead of us. And then it's, you know, Senior Bowl, Combine, free agency. All that's going to be here before we know it, too. So appreciate y'all for joining me. Again, Dane Parson will be joining me later on in the week to preview week 18. So be sure to join us for that. I will talk to you soon. Appreciate you joining. This has been The Pump Fake. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.